Welcome back to the next episode of Real People, Real Hope. I'm Jill Heiser, Vice President of Mission Advancement, and I'm joined by our President and CEO, Dave Game. Hi, Dave. Hey, Joe. And our COO and Senior Vice President, Sean DeFore. Hi, What's Joe. What's up, Sean? Nice to see you. Sean's in a weird mood tonight, so we're going to see where this goes. <laughs> Did you like how I said I, 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 I've taken I out know. today because I've been saying today. Well, I'm one time by. you said this episode... Sean and Dave are joining. It's like every episode, every episode we join, yeah. right? So yeah, anyhow, we got, that, we got that cleared we've out. Gotten, we've gotten it figured out by now. So tonight we have with us Al Cowell, who's our vice president of, um, gosh, I almost just said you're the vice president of mission advancement. You're not. That's you. That would <laughs> be you. That would be you. Don't try to pawn your job <laughs> okay. off on Is Al. it Monday? What is happening right now? The vice president of human resources and chief people officer, Al Cowell. Hi, Al. Hi, Jill. <laughs> and also our bereavement coordinator and our Camp Hope director, Jane Olivier. Hi, Jane. Hi, everybody. <laughs> We're so glad that you're with us. So I have to laugh um, because before we got started here, I was talking to Jane back at the office and she said, I actually went out and got my hair done because I was going to be on the radio. Makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, Sean got his hair done tonight, too. Thanks, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) I did. Jane's got me beat, though. Her hair is much cuter. (laughs) So tonight we're going to be talking about a really cool topic that when I came to Wellspring just won my heart, um, which is a service that we provide actually through our hospice program, um, and it is Camp Hope. Um, Many of you who are listening probably know a lot about Camp Hope, and you're about to find out even more, but some of you probably have never heard about it and are about to get an education of a lifetime uh, because we have two uh, people here who deeply, deeply love Camp Hope, which is Jane and Al, um, and have really been with us since kind of the inception of it and have been uh, a major, major part of it all along. So... Um, I'm going to turn it over to Dave and Sean because I know that they have lots of questions to ask you guys tonight. Um, but to get us started, Jane, tell us a little bit about how Camp Hope got started. We take care of our hospice families after their loved one dies. And there was a realization that there were kids, grandchildren, uh, nieces, nephews, uh, brothers and sisters that were facing this loss. And We had a nurse that came on and a social worker that we hired at the time, and they had done what they called a grief camp at their previous hospice, and they said, this is something we should try to do, and that's what we tried to do. So that first year, we went very cautiously. We took only 20 children, and we were one day, one night, back the next day, and then we realized it needed to be longer than that, and then things just started developing from there. And Jane, that was 15 years ago. Now our 16th coming up, right? Indeed. Yeah. So we've learned a lot in 15 years. I bet. And so I know as a parent, right, I, I spend every year looking for camps for my kids in the summer, and camps are not cheap, right? They cost quite a bit of money. So talk a little bit about... Um, what families have to pay if their children go to Camp Hope or what kids have to pay? We don't charge any of our children to attend Camp Hope. All of them attend for free. Um, Our organization does a lot of fundraising for Camp Hope. We have some very special sponsors that have been with us for a long time. Uh, 80s Festival in Frankenmuth actually has become one of the great sponsors for Camp Hope along with a number of other donors as well. But it's very important to us to not charge the families anything because we know that they're 
dealing with enough challenges as it is. And so we want to make sure that these kids are not impeded from attending camp for any reason. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about um, how uh, a child or a family might get introduced to camp. So, so they, Jane, you talked about our hospice program and perhaps they have a loved one who passed away. Is there a social worker that's attached to the hospice program that talks to the family about the possibility of Camp Hope? How do they hear about it? Yeah, um, most of our campers, that is one way, is we are always in tune to our families that we are serving and any needs that they might have with their children. Uh, But we have opened it up really statewide. We've been top to bottom, um, especially now with our foster care system that we are part of and the adoption system. Um, And we send out referrals to all the schools in mid-Michigan and even beyond. And it's usually the school counselors that will come up with the most referrals. They know the the kids in the school that have had a loss and they will recommend them coming to camp. So So the majority of kids coming to camp, it seems now, aren't necessarily families who've been served by our hospice, right? So it's sort of extended our our ministry out beyond even that, right? Absolutely. And even kids out of state, if their grandma was on our hospice here in Michigan, but they're, they spend summers in the mid-Michigan area, they will come to camp. So we've had kids from out of state as well. So what's, so, what's, what's special about kids and grieving that causes us to want to program differently to them than we do you know, their moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. Right. Adults in general. Yeah. Um, kids do it brilliantly, truthfully. They grieve in doses. They will go out and they'll be shooting hoops in the driveway and then run in the house and say to mom, you know, dad's really never coming home and grab a quick hug and have a tear from, you know, and then two minutes later out shooting hoops like he never even said that. So kids just grieving doses, and that's how we set up camp. So we do all the regular things you do at camp, the swimming, the s'mores, the canoeing and kayaking, but we also um, do the grief work activities, and we know they're they're the grief work activities. Uh, The kids don't, and what makes them grief activities is the questions that we ask, um, how we guide them through that activity while they're playing that game or whatever um, to make it very purposeful, to give them that opportunity to tell their story and So talk us through one of those activities. I know you do several different ones that are sort of age-targeted, age-appropriate. So talk us through one of those. Um, The one that I think of is Fishbowl of Feelings because kids learn different and they take information in differently. So Fishbowl of Feelings is we have a fishbowl and it's filled with water. But we ask the kids, what kind of feelings did you have? when your person either was dying or since they've died, and they'll say they're mad. So we put in, like, red food coloring into this fishbowl. And then the other one, I'm sad, so we put some blue color in there. So as they're naming all kinds of emotions, uh, this fishbowl gets really murky and really icky looking. Um, and we talk about, do you feel that way inside? Sometimes when people say to you, how, how do you feel since dad died? It's hard to describe, ugh. And it's more than one feeling. 
and we let them know, can you feel more than one feeling at one time? And he's like, yeah, I've been mad and sad, or I've been happy, but then I'm sad and stuff. So we talk a lot about that. And then we give solutions and we have our bleach water and we'll say, what kinds of things can you do to make yourself feel better? And the one will say, I ride my bike and we'll put a little bit of bleach water in it. And as they give solutions, the water slowly starts to clear. And it's not just one solution that Right. clears it up and it doesn't happen right away and it's just a good visual mm-hmm. kind of thing and the kids get it even yeah. the little six and seven year olds they love watching yeah. it number yeah. one but i think even the teenagers take that one in mm-hmm. and realize they felt that murk of yeah. fishbowl yeah. feelings so l for some reason unknown to me you choose to work with the teenagers <laughs> right <laughs> so that's got to be a special calling and uh, some special opportunities for you. So talk a little bit about what that's been like, the blessings, the challenges. How's that work? I have been working with the teenagers since the very beginning, and I'm really not sure why that's the group that I am drawn to, but they are my favorites. I think I, you were a teenager when you started doing that, <laughs> part of it, or barely out of teen, right? I, I'm not sure about yeah. that, but but it certainly has been the group for me that's been um, both the most fun, but also the most rewarding. I, I think it's probably true of of the kids of any of our age groups, but I find that with the teens, especially, their bonds with each other come so rapidly at camp. Oftentimes, before we even board the buses to go to camp, these kids are meeting each other for the first time that first morning of camp, and and their bonds happen very, very quickly. Certainly by the time that they share their stories with one another, um, it's as if these kids have known each other longer than they really have. And largely it's because they are sharing an experience of loss that other people their age have never experienced before. So many of the kids that come to camp will talk about how they've never met anyone else their own age who's experienced that kind of loss. And, And really at camp... Jane and I and the other uh, uh, counselors at camp, we, we kind of think of ourselves as guides and, and really the kids' interaction with one another is what is getting them through some of this grieving activity. And that's it, really wonderful to watch. And with the teens in particular, I, I see that all the time play out with, with these young people. When I imagine uh, for a child who has lost a loved one and is grieving, there's probably a pretty big sense of isolation. You know, they've gone through an experience that a lot of their peers maybe haven't. So camp must be a great place for them to, like you said, be with others who have this similar experience and understand, uh, you know, sort of what they've been through. But I imagine for teens and for kids, um, the feelings that they have about death and grief maybe look a little bit different. Or do they look fairly similar? How do you, what does grieving look like for a child who's lost a loved one or a teen? I think I work with the six and seven year olds. So I'm with the littlest campers. Um, But they are, they're pretty open. They'll tell you everything. The sights, the sounds, the smells of everything that happened. And the bed was in the dining room. How weird was that? So they're, they're just very open. Um, But we get a lot of those me too kind of moments where, I felt like that too. And I think that's when we realized that camp is success. Once we hear these kids say to each other, oh, I felt that way too. Um, We can plan all kinds of activities, but 
really that is the purpose. And Al said it perfect. We sort of guide, but we let them do it. And they take care of each other's feelings in such a beautiful way, even young ones. Yeah. So, Jane, tell me about a specific kid that came to camp that comes to mind for you. Hmm. And what was the, what was their story, and and what was the? I'm sure the one that'll come to mind for you is one who Im, that impacted you, who impacted you. So yeah, there's why some, did they impact you so much? Probably every year there's one or two that I sure I, they've camped and set up tent in my heart that I think about oh, often. But there is there is um, one little boy who I'm going to make up a different name, but he his brother had passed, and he said his name. And he said, you know, when we did the pillow activity, he held it up and he said, this is my brother, Jeremy. And then he just kept saying, Jeremy, 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 Jeremy. And he just kept saying that. And they said, okay, his name's Jeremy. And he said, I haven't been able to say his name since the funeral. Mm. So it was something that happened. And all through camp, Jeremy's pillow, he took Jeremy with him everywhere. We're going to the lake, Jeremy. And Mm. he took this pillow everywhere. And everyone knew Jeremy in our groups, in our smaller groups. And so I made a beeline right to those parents when we came back from camp and said, I need to let you know we've opened a Jeremy box. And what was what he had shared with us was that he had not spoken that name. And you could see right away the dynamic, and the father was like, thank God. Mm. And the mother was stone silent. Mm. So mom had a problem with that. And so camp is going to impact that whole family. Mm-hmm. And I did offer for them to talk, you know, call me and stuff, and that we have resources that we can help them with. But we set them off on a journey. And camp, you know, allows itself to do that because we are a safe place. We let the kids know this is the place that you can be open and honest and share, and they do. Mm-hmm. They take us up on it. Yeah, and before we hear about the adolescent teenager experience, talk about the pillow activity. Because you mentioned the pillow and Jeremy. Yes. Um, we have all of the parents, the guardians of all of our campers provide us a picture of the loved one that passed. And we put it on a pillow that volunteers make for us. It's just a plain little pillow that you would put on a bed, like a decorative pillow. And during camp, we will get in our small groups of like six or seven campers in each group. And we'll just hold that picture, that pick pillowcase up and say, can someone tell me who this is? And they'll say, that's my mom, or that's my brother, or that's my dad. And then we just ask questions, you know, tell us about your dad. What did he like to do? What did you like to do with him? Um, and I always say that I usually do the first pillow with my little six- and seven-year-olds and ask the questions. And then they really get interested in each other's stories, and I hold up the next pillow, and they start asking questions right away. Who's that? Who's that? And what did you do with them? And what was their favorite color? And, mm-hmm. you know, so they take right over with that. Mm-hmm. But it's a very special thing. And then they... Um, are able to decorate the pillow if they'd like. We have things that they can decorate with. Some kids don't want to decorate it at all. They just want the picture to be plain. And then we stuff them, and the kids actually sew the pillows at camp so that they made the pillow. Mm. And so, Al, do we do that pillow activity with the teenagers as well, or do they think that's kind of hokey? We absolutely do that pillow activity with the teenagers, and uh, that is by far the most um, heavy emotional response that Mm. we get from these young people during the camp experience, to tell that story, to get an opportunity to ask each other questions about the person that they lost. Again, it really is that uh, relating to one another level, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. they love that activity. We spend a lot of time talking about the photos that are on those pillowcases. So, Al, can you talk a little bit about maybe a camper or two that has stood out for you over the years? I know there's a lot. 
Yeah, I think like Jane, it's 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 hard to it's hard to zero in on on just on just one young person. But but there was one young lady in my group um, a couple of years ago that um, really really had an impact on me. She came to camp very very angry, um, a lot of anger over the loss um, that she had experienced of her mom, a lot of anger over. Um, uh, kind of what was happening in her life as a result of mom being missing in her life mm-hmm. and, and, and dealing with all of that. And she didn't want to come to camp. She really felt as though camp was something for littler kids and uh, um, made it known from the very beginning that she didn't want to be there and she wasn't very engaging in, in many of those early activities. And she was just very quiet in general, I think, even outside of the loss that she had experienced that was just more of her nature. And it was difficult to really find a way to draw her into interaction with, with the other young people. Uh, she often would try to sit by herself um, while we were doing different things. But on day two of camp, um, day, the morning of day two, we do an equestrian exercise where the young people get to interact with horses uh, with some equestrian therapists that are there w- at camp with us. And they do some activities where they're guiding the horses. And this young lady um, not only jumped into that exercise with with both feet, but she really sort of led the rest of her group through that entire exercise, and 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 that connected with her. And I think one of the reasons that that stands out for me a great deal, you know, we get a lot of adults who, um, by no fault of their own, assume that talking about the loss is the way that all of these people, all these young people have to work through this loss successfully. And that just isn't, that just isn't the case. As adults, we've developed the language for loss. We've developed the words that we can use to describe that emotion, that loss. These kids don't yet necessarily have that language. And, and even developmentally, they haven't necessarily developed emotionally to a point where they can talk about loss just with words. So the activities that we do at camp, including this equestrian exercise, um, where they're not necessarily having to talk, and in fact, the equestrian exercise that we do, they're not allowed to talk. Um, they're doing other things to work through that grief, to, to, to reach into uh, themselves for some of those other emotions as they're working through that. And, and that's one of the reasons why she and that activity stand out so much mm-hmm. in my mind. It was a great example of somebody not necessarily talking about grief, but working through it nonetheless. There's also a great example of how you have all designed camp to have multiple activities that not all of which will strike a child, but one will, right? The one, and it becomes a game changer for them. So I want to uh, switch a little bit and talk. You, we talked earlier about how, how wonderful donors and supporters sort of make this happen in terms of the finances. But we also have an equal number of very passionate and even more so volunteers from from putting pillows together to sewing bears to being on site. So talk a little bit about the volunteer core that's that's the heart of this thing. Yeah, I cannot imagine doing camp without our volunteers. Uh, we have volunteers that are at camp that come with us and we call them the behind the scene volunteers. So when we get done doing our fishbowl of feelings and making a mess with dye and bleach and everything, we just get up and leave all that and go to our next activity. And they swoop in, clean it all up, and get it ready for the next group. So they're invaluable to us. Um, Every child goes home with a Camp Hope bear. 
that are made out of blue jeans, and we have sewing bees throughout the year that these volunteers get together and make all these bears. Um, we have our connection with U of M Flint, which has just uh, been such a blessing to us. Camp Hope is actually a two-credit class in their nursing curriculum. Maureen Tippin is just a fabulous person, um, and she developed this partnership with us, and for the last, how many years, Al, have they been with us? At least 10, right? At least 10. Yeah. So she comes with 10 students, and she offers this class, and they have to say why they want to come to a class called Camp Hope and Children's Grief Camp, and uh, they spend the semester reading and learning about children and grief and how it manifests itself physically as well as emotionally and how do you talk to children about loss, and then they come to camp. That's the culmination of their class assignment. And while they're there, they actually have assignments and they select a child that they follow and they do different um, papers and stuff for her. But they are just a godsend to us. And as social workers, when there's the nobles bleed and the bee stings, we yell nurse and they come swooping in and do their thing and we get to backpedal out of the situation, which is wonderful. Um, so I can't imagine doing Camp Hope without them. Um, Corey Musanda, our music therapist, is a big part of our camp, she comes and does activities with these kids that is just just remarkable to watch uh, the things that she can bring from them. And music is such a safe place for our teens and our little ones. Yeah, we, uh, let me just add, we Corey is a full-time music therapist at Wellspring, which is really unusual for organizations like us to have a full-time therapist and music therapist. And I just wanted to sort of make the note for us that that also is donor funded, right? We have wonderful support to help us pay for that that we couldn't otherwise do. And and Camp Hope's one of the benefits of that, but Corey sort of spreads her love all over the place, doesn't she, throughout the year? She does yeah, yeah. and makes an impact yeah. everywhere she goes. Someday we'll just have to do an episode on on music therapy and what Corey does. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of amazing listening to this, how what a village it takes to put on Camp Hope to, from the donors that help support some of the staff who provide support to our staff who take time out of their busy work weeks and uh, years to uh, be a part of Camp Hope and the volunteers. Um, it, it really just amazing and so impactful and needed for those kids. One, one theme I heard um, you talk about was the activities are set up to help these give these kids language in a sense to talk about and process their grief because it's not always just talking, um, literally talking that works. What would you recommend for people who um, have friends or neighbors who have gone through a loss and are grieving? How can they be helpful? Because um, like you said, sometimes just talking about it isn't always the most effective tool. What others are there? <clears throat> I think I think being there and listening, first of all, is is absolutely key. Um, letting letting that person share their own experience. If they can do it in words, that's great. But sometimes it's not just sharing it in words. Sometimes it may be sharing something that has been meaningful to you in working through a loss of your own um, and, and sharing that with this person. If it is particularly a child, a young person, there are lots of um, storybooks that are written, uh, particularly for a grieving child in mind. Mm -hmm. I know with working with the teenagers, uh, music is a huge, huge mm -hmm. part of 
them working through their loss. One of the reasons why our music therapist, Corey, is so important to camp because she comes and helps those kids connect their emotions with music that they already like to listen to and the words that are expressed in that music. And that is a, an emotional release for them. You know, sometimes it's, it's praying with that child. Sometimes it's um, doing artwork with that child, drawing, uh, just giving them a different avenue to, to, to release that emotion or experience that emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of different things to do, but I think the number one thing is to just sit and be and listen with mm-hmm. that, that child. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I think as as helpers and counselors, we want them to talk, but it's easy for us to be ready to listen, but not always easy for them to be ready to talk. So we have to be okay in silence. We have to be okay with them using us the way they need to use us. Um, journaling is something every teenager um, at camp leaves camp with a journal. That's just another way for them to get feelings out. Um when we do that activity that we talked about, the fishbowl of feelings, the kids know what, what makes them feel better because we ask them for the solutions to clear up that murky water. So just ask them. I can tell you're not feeling, you know, you're feeling upset. What, what makes you feel better? And just ask them. They'll, they have their answers and stuff. And it's just helping them realize that they already have their little tool mm-hmm. belt with some tools in it. So um, when we think about Camp Hope now into its 16th year, I suspect uh, – we serve about 40 kids a year at camp, and we could probably quadruple that and still not mm-hmm. serve everybody who needs it around us, right? Yeah. That's true. And and really, the families as well. Um, you know, one of the challenges that we run into with, with our campers, uh, Jane's alluded to this already in some of what she's talked about, but in many households, the rest of the family doesn't necessarily know how to or if to discuss this loss and, and, and to work with that family in some way is a, is a real important need for the future. So we're going to, we're going to sort of start shifting to the end of our conversation here. And and I want to pivot a little bit. We were talking about volunteers before, and we've certainly talked about a couple of campers, but Al, I know you've got a really cool story going on right now about a camper turned volunteer. Yeah. I, Can you I, Talk I think, about that a little bit. I think it's a great story. I probably can't tell it as well as Jane can, so she's going to help me fill in some of the details likely. But we have, uh, I say young person, because that was the last time that I saw him. He was a young person at camp, uh, one of our campers. And apparently, as he has grown up, this is years ago that we served him at camp, as he has grown up, he has continued to talk about how important camp was to him at that point in his life. He's now married and... Uh, camp has met so much to him that his wife made arrangements uh, as, as, a, as an extended birthday gift to him to have him come back to camp as a volunteer. And she too is going to volunteer with him. So they're wow. both coming to camp. They're going to go through the volunteer training that we have for our volunteers. Uh, and, and here is this former camper getting to come back to camp, but in a different capacity to continue to help other people and bless their lives. Yeah, I've heard that story a few times now, and I, I can't help but smile every time I hear it. It's just it's just amazing. Yeah. So wow. so Jane, as we wrap up here, you know, you've you've been in in the trenches on this from really day one when the conversation started, probably seventeen years ago that led right. to the first camp, right? Mm-hmm. So what what are your hopes and dreams for Camp Hope now? What what's where where should we be thinking about it needs to go? What what's next? <laughs> 
Uh, my dream, as I say it every year, is a family camp. And mm. just for the reasons mm. that Al just said is their support systems are so important to these kids. And we can't be their support systems. We're there for three days and two nights. Right. And that's a big part of what we do at camp is help them identify who, who their supports are. But if their supports are hurting and if their supports aren't equipped, um, then that's we're just sending them back to that. So if we could have the parents, the guardians attend camp with their kids and do our camp thing that we do with the kids, but also have mm. the parents and let them know what we're doing with their kids and why and what they can be doing with them when they get home and, and just how are they doing, check in with them. And so I think if I had a dream and a magic wand, I would say family camp would be my wish. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Great idea. I love it. So that's a perfect ending because my question to you, Jane, as we wrap up would be if someone is out there listening at this very moment and wants to get involved in some capacity, whether it's a donor, whether it's a volunteer, whether they say, hey, my next door neighbor just lost someone and their kid would benefit from this. Can you talk a little bit about those couple of things and how people might be able to get involved right away? Um. Donors, we never turn away donors <laughs> um, of any kind. So if someone wants so, to fund that family camp, there you go. they should give us a call, right? That is awesome. <laughs> and we haven't put a price tag out there or anything, but it, it roughly costs about $300 a camper. And we do have people in the community that will come every year to the office and say, Jane, here's my check. I want to sponsor a child for camp. And they will give me a check for $300. So um, certainly that's always welcome. Um, the... Donating our s'mores fixings. We'll take graham crackers and um, Hershey bars and marshmallows and root beer floats. Oh, cases of water. Al's pointing to us water. <laughs> Lots of water. Food dye so and bleach. And we, right. <laughs> all the supplies that cases. we use. Um, and then all the way up to being part of our sewing bees and stuff. It went on Facebook this year for the first time. And I'm not real high tech, but Kim at our office is brilliant. So she put this out on Facebook that we were having this sewing bee. And we got people from the community that came and helped with our sewing bee this year. And I never thought to extend it out to other people. But that's always something that we could benefit from. Um, if you know a child or someone that would benefit from camp, certainly give us a call. There is a process. There is an application. And there is a mandatory parent-guardian meeting that has to happen. So there has to be an, a little bit of a lead time. Uh, but the loss doesn't have to be any time frame. It can be a loss that happened years ago or just mm -hmm. weeks ago. Um, we will deal with whichever, whatever is needed. So awesome. call us. <laughs> and also you can visit wellspringlutheran.com. There you go. Yes. And we actually <laughs> on the hospice page have the Camp Hope applications on there. So if someone wanted to go on there and fill out the application, they can definitely do that. Um, and there's some really great videos and resources on there as well, um, as well as we're very active on social media. So you can find out from there too. So as we wrap up, Al, Jane, I wish y'all had some passion. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we are so... <laughs> blessed to have the two of you on staff and to be leading this. It's so funny. I love going to the root beer float. So at the end of every camp, we celebrate with root beer floats. And so Al and Jane have been in the trenches for three days, not sleeping, doing activities in the heat. You want to stand upwind of them at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I've been there just saying. But I have to say every year the joy that comes out of the two of them in that moment to bring these kids back knowing that they've been changed. 
Um, and knowing that the two of you have been changed. I, I love hearing the stories after camp from the two of you. Um, it's just super precious and it's such an intricate part of this mission. So thank you for spending your evening with us. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. God yeah. does amazing things through people and it's fun to watch that happen at camp. Yeah. Perfect. Well said. That concludes this episode of Real People, Real Hope. We will see you next time.